What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I have Tilly of Do Good Factory, a very good friend of mine who actually worked for F as in Frank back in the day in our Whistler store. And she's built an amazing business. And now she's um, helping brands manufacture responsibly. We talk all about that, responsible manufacturing, the sustainable clothing industry, greenwashing, um, and many other things on that topic. She started in vintage, and now she's doing great things. If you want to support the show, go check out the Patreon down below, link down below. We always post bonus content on there for you guys. Go shop FSNFrankVintage.com. Again, another link down below. But that's it. Short intro today. Let's get right to it with Tilly of Do Good Factory. to be here hi drew (laughs) (laughs) um this is awesome it's well overdue um you know we've known each other for a long time we met because you actually worked in the f is in frank store in whistler yep and what year was that like 2009 or 2008 it was 2008 so Talking like we're working years. out the maths now. That's a lot. That's fourteen. That's a while. Fourteen years. We're getting old. We're getting very old. But look, we're still friends to this day. I was just talking about how many staff I've had over the years, and uh, some of the amazing ones like yourself that I still keep in touch with. I know. I think I just feel like it was like a really special time, and like, like I genuinely would have got like an F little tattoo. Do you know what I mean? Like we were just like hardcore <laughs> friends. Like, and I just feel like you'll, that's, that's like when it's not work, you know, when you want to go there and it's like so fun and such a vibe. And I think I just was like, I need to always have a job that I just like, it's never like working. It's a hobby. Like that's how it's just always been. So yeah, it was just that's so, so, so good to hear. Well, thank you. And it was a fun time. That was like the beginning of our business or the early days of our business anyway, when it was kind of wild west, we were just doing whatever we felt like. It wasn't so serious. We're partying a um, lot. Partying a Hoping lot. Hoping someone had the key to the shop and didn't lose it, a rave or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. So, and you know, we're still, still great friends this day. You're really good friends with my wife, Red. Mm-hmm. We, we went to your wedding a few years ago, which was yeah. super fun. Yeah, Bren was Bren was in the in the wedding party and helping you guys. And um, yeah, I'm I'm so proud of what you've gone on to do in your life. It's so amazing. I feel and, just like uh, you were so such, such a big part of that, though. Like you were such a big part 
like I genuinely feel like I couldn't have started my business without you um yeah so and you you helped me like a lot we'll, we'll get on to that but I'm sure but like you really helped me with my first <laughs> order so like it, it wouldn't have been what it is to this day had all of these little things not happened so yeah yeah, completely. And I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, but I've always admired what you what you went on to do. You seem like you're you are a very confident person. You are one of those people that just goes out and gets shit done <laughs> and doesn't let excuses get in your way. At least that's my perspective of it from watching you grow your business over all these years. And I admire that in people. Love it. So how did it start for you? Obviously, you know, you worked at the shop back then and then you moved on. You moved to London, I believe. And then you were, uh, I don't know if that was your first move, but, and then, and then all of a sudden you were, you were producing product and you got into this world of manufacturing and you're selling, deal, dealing with massive companies and give us the rundown of like how that all happened. So I left Frankie, I think in 2010, um, because my visa ran out. And so I tried to stay for a bit, but I was like, oh, this is not legit. And then so I ended up moving back to London. My friend Molly, very good friend of mine, she um, from uni, she got me a job at um, Sam Greenberg Vintage. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, um, I remember that. <laughs> forgot about that. And um, so that was like a vintage concession in Top Man Oxford Circus, like the flagship Top Shop Top Man store. It's, as soon as you get out of Oxford Circus Tube Station, it's there. It's the biggest store. And so I was like, cool, this is awesome. Cause I, and I just come from Evers in Frank and I was getting into like picking and like you were just like telling me loads about wholesale and like I, just all these things were like happening. And so I went to work for Dan at Sam Greenberg. And so I was in charge of his e-commerce store. And then he um, he had another guy, Tim, that was buying for him, who was awesome. And we had such a fun time. It was like at a warehouse in East London. And the cool thing about it was that the two stores I was basically like managing, Peace Corps and Sam, Green, Sam Greenberg Vintage, were two of the first 10 stores on ASOS Marketplace that were on like a pilot for ASOS Marketplace in the beginning before there was like, before it exploded. Um, so we were like- yeah, on which now, pilot. now, I mean, a lot of Americans probably know it now, but in those early days, it was so big in, in London and Europe and, and Britain, I guess. But um, now it's like a world dominating force. They're like one of the top online retailers yeah. in the world. It's nuts. So we were there in the beginning. And this is kind of before like ASOS did this massive jump up. They were like really- they were getting up there. Um, so Peace Corps was basically vintage, like men's military wear. And then Sam Greenberg was more like Americana, like flannels and like all this kind of thing. Um, so they just thought it was so ahead that, you know, I was in Vancouver, like picking there. And so anyway, Dan came over and like we took him on a buying trip. Drew remembers this trip. Um, yeah. It was ups and there was highs and lows, ups and downs, whatever. But um, so I took him over there and then I just kind I came back and we had really good stuff. And then I just kind of thought, why don't I start my own ASOS Marketplace store, which is women's like Americana stuff. So I started this, um, this store, Black Tusk Vintage, 
And and it was named actually after Black Tusk Mountain, which is like in between Squamish and Whistler, which, yeah, I've hiked a few times. Drunk. That's cool. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, I did get drunk at the top once. I couldn't come back down. Um, anyway, so it was like cool. Like I just love Canada. It's like had such a, like it was just such a good moment in my life. And so it started this business, Black Tusk Vintage. Anyway, this store started exploding. Drew was sending me vintage from like the States. What were we sent? It was like, um, it was we like, made, I think we made some reworks for you back in those days. That was, that was, like that some, was for ASOS, but before it was just like vintage, oh, hammer pants. It was the hammer oh, yeah. pants and like load, tons of stuff. So he'd send me these like big bales of vintage and like I would like steam them in my flat in London and then send them out to ASOS. Anyway, store exploded. I remember making like my first a thousand pounds in a month and I was like, Oh my God, this is so good. Like it felt like making when I was a wait, I was a waitress for like 14 years, basically. In this whole time, I was still a waitress. Like, and um, when I used to get big tips, I was like, yes, I've done it. I kind of had that same feeling of like, oh my God, this is like off the books. Like I've made a thousand pounds. Like this is so good. It just gave me so much drive. Um, so then I, yeah, I went to a team meeting basically at, Oxford Circus like top man one day and ASOS like two buyers from there walked in uh Laura Southern and someone else but they were like the only menswear buyers at ASOS there was only two at that point which is wild because there's probably like 200 now and um they were like oh we love what you're doing in here and like we know about Black Tusk would you want to supply to ASOS and I was like uh, yeah, my my little bike. At that, I would think I was like twenty two, and I was like, yeah, I can do anything. And I just remember this like mentality of like always just thinking, just say yes, and then figure it out later. But you just got to say yes, whatever it is, just say yes. And so I was like, I can do it. I've got a limited company. I could do this. At the time, I actually didn't like. And so that night, I like called my friend Juliet Can, who actually, I think you met her at the wedding. Um, and Juliet, like, she's, yeah, really helped me a lot in my life. And she helped me set up this limited this limited company I did that night. And it was like 14 pounds done. And I made this call and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. Because I think I said to you, like, I think I need like 500 pairs of Levi jeans and then like a ton of other stuff and you were like can you do it I was like I don't have any money but if you lend it to me I promise that I'll pay you back like I promise I'll make this happen and I feel like it was just a really scary time because I was like if I mess this up how am I gonna pay Drew he's gonna hate me everyone's gonna hate me and so but whatever I was just like this is gonna work out because I don't come from any money, you know, so I don't have any backup. Like if it fails, I'm like, uh-oh. So you sent me a bunch of vintage. And what happened with the first order for ASOS is, and I was doing this like a side hustle, like when I was still have my other full-time job. So I go to the toilet, like at work and be looking at spreadsheets, like, oh my God, they want to order 36,000 pounds of clothing. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And then like coming back from my break and he was like, you're right in there. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> Probably there's something wrong with me. And um, so anyway, the shipment came in and it was the first shipment that I'd ever done. It gets to the port and they were like, and I thought I paid the shipping on it. It gets there and it was like 3,000 pounds in like 
duties and shipment when I thought it was going to be 600 because I hadn't added on all the other like costs at that time because I just didn't know. Um, and yeah, and so anyway, my friend Juliet can who I actually met in the gallery and she's like if you ever need anything call me so I did call her and I was like can I borrow three thousand pounds I promise you I'll pay it back so she came and met me in Piccadilly Circus with a big envelope of cash and I remember my mum being so skeptical of this whole situation and I was just like it's gonna be fine I gotta sort this out anyway they paid me and I made like twenty two thousand pounds profit on this order so I paid you back and I had this capital and I was like oh my god now I can do the next one and then so it just kind of went from there and then like they started asking me for vintage sunglasses we had a big thing going on with that for a while and they wanted Lee. Yeah, that was crazy. I love this story because it's like, like you said, you just say you just say yes and then worry about how you're going to make it happen. And you did make it happen. You borrowed money, you figured it out, and obviously it worked out and it started your business. But it's it's the fearlessness that's important. The fearlessness yeah. to take a risk, to go out there and do what you got to do to make it happen. It's amazing. And I think that's what really attracts me about entrepreneurs. It's like they, I just love that. No fear. I can do like, I can do anything. I think that's what like really is just connecting like me and you and like loads of people that I know. It's just like, I just got to be around. It's that energy that I can't find anywhere else. It's not in like corporations. Like it's not in these like, you know, big companies that I deal with these people are just like these like little gems that I'm just like, so like, so connected to. I'm like, yeah, we can do anything. Um, and it's not, yeah, it's just, it's so powerful. And then everyone wants to like have a part of that energy. That's why they want to invest in you and they want you to come and partner with them and like supply for them because they love that like energy. And so this is like 11 years ago. So I think in this. And people buy in, people buy into people. They don't buy into I yeah. mean, more so than brands or ideas, they buy into the people. That's why you look mm -hmm. at like Elon Musk. It's like that guy can do anything right now. Whatever he touches turns to gold because people just believe in this guy, yeah. you know? And I was talking to a friend about this the other day. It's like entrepreneurs, yes, they have that, that fearlessness and that mentality that they're just going to go and make shit happen. But they also have like a higher capacity for more in their brain or in their life, mm -hmm. I guess, because it's like when you, when you get talking about people, even yourself or, you know, on a crazy level, like, like Elon, so much he's dealing with, right. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to like accept that and know you can handle that and be ready to handle all that yeah. um, and manage it properly. It's like a higher capacity, but also like such a good understanding that of, of management and how you can handle it effectively mm -hmm. um, yeah and you always like the funny thing is I find this really relative that like when I compare this I feel like waitressing made me a really good CEO and entrepreneur because I'd have 10 tables in Soho at a time at the busiest restaurant in London and I'm turning tables constantly and to just know what is going on with every single table and to still be like having a personal conversation with every table who are totally different people like you've got like big people that work at sony like girls on a hen night like and you have to change every time to adapt to make them more comfortable in that meeting 
it's almost like it just so is that was so symbolic for me like that just having multiple all these plates spinning is so just how it is with business and to know like every layer of what you do I know every layer of the business like so I can do it myself but I can't do it on my own because it's too much going on um but yeah yeah totally and I, I agree we were talking about that we're hiring you know and when someone has restaurant experiences like you're like oh they can multitask like that's a that's a prerequisite yeah. because there's no greater hustle than like the busy dinner rush <laughs> or like happy hour at a bar you know what I mean yeah it's it's great and to still be a nice person at the end of it and get tips is like you got to have it all going on really but yeah. it really like help like build my just yeah that's awesome yeah, all my pre pre work experience before vintage was restaurant work yeah. um so let's, let's jump into the sunglass thing because i think this is this is a cool story so <laughs> yeah so you got these deals you were at this point selling to asos and they started to want um sunglasses and, and what was their program they had something called like reclaimed or yeah so actually this is the prior to this what happened was when asos did come into top man they were like and then we had this conversation they were like we want to start a vintage brand do you want to call it black tusk this is probably the most important thing of the whole story do you want to call it black tusk and I was like I sat on it for a bit and I was like hmm let me think about this and they were like because we have a brand called reclaim vintage would you want to call it that and rather than being ego like I wanted to be like hey this is my brand this is black tusk I actually didn't do that I was like no if I'm if this is reclaim vintage they will always back it if it's reclaimed vintage by ASOS, they'll always back it and they'll never let it die. And that's what happened. So it went from like zero styles to like 800 styles, 800 SKUs was like what we were dealing with. Like, so that, and that wouldn't have happened if it was just an independent brand because there's no other brands. Because they, you, you would have been able to, you would have had Black Tusk that would have been your brand that they were like, kind of partnering on and contracting mm -hmm. or you're just applying reclaimed and you chose to just be supplier versus have your own brand on there. Yeah. So it worked out better because I actually had a better visibility over like the whole company and I was dealing with buyers in like apparel accessories and like they all are working for the the in-house brand, which is Reclaimed Vintage. We actually then got given another like three other brands called like Nope, Heart and Dagger, Crooked Tongues. We actually got given those brands to supply to as well. So at this point, like we were once we were doing the accessories like the sunglasses and then the watches came we were the biggest accessories supplier on asos and this is when they were exploding so it was like the order numbers the orders were huge like per style sometimes it was 2000 units so we started off doing vintage drew was like supplying um, yeah. and we were like hey we need <laughs> these like ray-ban style these like clubmaster blue uh, arms but we need like 600 of them like next week and it was like so you're picking through all these books because they all come different colors or all, all the yeah, that was sunglasses super are, like tricky to do before we jump into this sunglass thing, i want to paint a picture for everyone who might not understand because like you and me understand this asos thing so asos has ASOS marketplace where anybody can sell on, right? It's open. It's open concept, I believe. Yeah. Now it wasn't then, and then they have in-house ASOS brand. So they were super smart in what they built because they built their own brand, and then they built a ton of 
marketplaces that were then driving traffic back to their brand, which they could all, they could push above everybody else anyway. So they were selling all these things. And then one of their in-house brands was the reclaimed vintage that you were supplying. So um, it was like an ASOS proprietary thing. Um, I just want everyone to understand how, as we're talking about this. Um, so yeah, to the sunglass thing. So you got these deals, they were ordering crazy amounts of sunglasses and, and we were actually still at this point selling real vintage dead stock sunglasses. I had over the years acquired quite a few different warehouses that still had old stock sunglasses. It's like, there's probably a lot more out there still, but I didn't even need more because this one warehouse was so massive, like to paint a picture of that. That scene in Indiana Jones when they put the Ark of the Covenant away at that warehouse, and they're like going down. You don't even see the end of the warehouse aisle. That's what these sunglass warehouses are like. That's insane. Because I don't know what it's like on the back end. I was just texting you like, Drew, I need 10,000 units like ASAP. And like, I didn't even know what you were going through, but it was, it, you said it was hard. Yeah, well, um, I was always grateful for the orders because those orders were great. And sometimes me and Jesse would be like, fuck, is this worth it? Because like, at, as, as we went on, it got harder and harder because we were digging more out and then there became less available. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you would send me an order for like, yeah, five, 10,000 units. And each unit would be like, you know, 500 to 1,000 pairs of a unit. Now, the thing is, these warehouses are not organized. So I'd have to go and literally open hundreds of boxes to try to find like a classic vintage Wayfarer style or this other style or whatever, you know, be putting them all on the floor and mixing and matching. Oh, the other thing too is some of these sunglasses come in like six colorways and it's, they always come in 12 packs, but sometimes they come six to two, 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 two. And then sometimes they come six and six. But then the way you guys needed it, ASOS needed it, was all one color. So then we'd be flipping the bo- this colors over for each different 12-pack, which was a lot of work. <laughs> um, but yeah, this these sunglasses, I don't know, I don't remember exactly, but I feel like the sunglass orders went on for like at least like three years. It was years, yeah. And then like I think you, years. your stock was like running a bit low and then I was working a bit with Giant Vintage who are based in Pasadena. Um, who I met actually randomly at the Rose Bowl um, when I was there and I saw you guys. Um, So, yeah, anyway. And then what happened was that ASOS just started asking us for, like, ridiculous quantities of, like, a vintage pair. And I was like, well, there's none left. That's it. And we kind of, like, went back and forth on that. And, like, and then what happened was they started asking for, like, test certificates on all of these sunglasses and like they were made some of these in like what Korea in like the 70s or something or 80s anyway like there was no test certificate obviously because these were all dead stock and so that was really difficult like that movement from well we want to supply vintage because that's the essence of the brand but then we can't get the quantity and we can't meet these regulations that they have on their website because nothing's been tested and like to test you'd have to test every single pair and it's and not even that like you have to make it you know in an audited factory and so on so anyway then I moved I like switched gears with accessories and I found some factories on Alibaba which is really funny because like so many people come to me now and say that they found factories on Alibaba and like oh god and so many things happen like a factory stole 8,000 pounds from me. 
Um, I, they just totally ghosted me. Like so many things happened. I was like, oh my God, I need someone Mandarin speaking working for me so that these like situations don't happen. And at the time I had like um, a studio space in East London and I had the studio space actually for like six years and we were tagging things in the downstairs like restaurant that was being converted. I had like people from my running crew were like, kids had just got out of school tagging sunglasses for me, thousands of pairs, like giving jobs to all these kids. But it was like so fun. Um, and I just felt like the, the fun mum, like <laughs> helping everyone out. Um, but yeah, it was just like really good times. But so manufacturing in China was just a whole different ball game. I felt like it was like the black market. Like everything was so shady. Like that's how it felt back then. Like didn't really know like who we were dealing with, like scared some, I'm going to send a factory money. They're going to take my money and I'm never going to hear from them again. That happened yet yeah, a few times. And, um, but anyway, I had enough capital for like these situations to happen. And then I just got over it because I'd made a lot of profit, honestly, on the sunglasses. Um, but ASOS were asking me for watches. So um, I got this girl working for me, Mandarin speaking girl. I've had a, like, yeah, I've probably had 15 Mandarin speaking girls working for me, like over the 11 years. Um, and that just totally changed everything. Like the commu having communication like that, um, things were coming back in the right color and like everything was working. We got a fulfillment center in rugby and like they would pack all of our orders and everything was like running so much more streamlined that the profit was like so much better because I didn't have to deal with all the, these disasters that kept happening. So the risk was like much lower and um, it was just working. Like we were ASOS's like favorite supplier. We were really good friends with loads of the buyers. And we just made this decision to stop doing apparel at that time because I just feel like you can't do everything really, really well, especially when there's 800 style numbers. And like, also like, let's face it, you're either going to go, like you're going to turn your company into a huge company and have a ton of people working for you, or you're going to grow it organically. And I think I just wanted to grow into this role. Like I never, when it used to become so big and it was really big at one point, like, it was it was so overwhelming to the point that I felt like it was taking a part of my sparkle away. That's like the only way I can like and I like get off the tube and like you know push past someone and just and I'd just be like I just check myself sometimes and be like, oh my god, that's like not what I would do. But I was so highly like I need to get off this tube so I get signals so that I can get the spreadsheet because someone's like needs this from ASOS. I was so like panicked that I was going to lose this thing I'd, I'd spent so much of my energy building that I was and I was just spreading myself too thin so anyway we decided to just like branch off just do accessories and it was a really good move actually accessories are good because they are like cheaper to ship you can get more in a box like and it had less risk really than doing apparel because you don't have to worry about like the fit and like the stitches and it just it was just working really really well for like long time so we ASOS for nine years um and it really gave me so much confidence and and actually like um it gave me really yeah just like good structure in my life and um I had good people working for me like throughout like some disasters happened had to fire some people but that was fine but I became a good manager 
being there because I was, I had to be on my A game, like all the time, like getting brought into meetings with like, you know, people who were right at the top of ASOS and, and it was a really cool learning experience, like learning about all of like the new regulations and like the audits that the factories needed to have. And that's been like the pinnacle part of my business now. So fast forward anyway. So for the last four years, even when we we're at ASOS, I decided to turn um, the business into an agency because people were approaching us and saying like, can you make this for us? Like we've seen what you do. Do you make it for anyone else? And I thought, you know what? It's not good to have all your eggs in one basket um, because ASOS I could see was on a bit of a decline at that time. And like they were canceling orders out of nowhere, like big orders. And I had a real issue with this, like not just because of the money, like it was mainly because of the waste. Like I, like one time they canceled this huge watch order and I was just like, I didn't know what to do with this stock. So they didn't have a partner charity that they dealt with. So I was like, where do I put watches that impossible to dispose of unless you send them back to a factory and they get taken apart because they have all these different components. You can't put a battery in the recycling and so on. So I was like, this needs to go to a charity because otherwise I can't do anything with this. There's huge volumes of waste. So I partnered with Red Cross. I created that partnership with ASOS and Red Cross because I needed somewhere for this like excess stock to go because it's branded so it needs to go somewhere so anyway we had this partnership um and so that was really great but obviously you don't know one wants to get an order to be cancelled because it, you lose money on it but it just is what it is yeah but that's it's it's uh it's interesting there's so many things that's interesting about you all the stuff you just said but they have no regard for you I mean, I'm sure some people in the company were your friends, but mm -hmm. in the end of the day, it's, it's, there's shareholders, there's bottom lines. If they want to cancel an order, they don't think is Tilly going to be upset. How much money Tilly's going to lose? They just cancel the order because yeah. that's what they want to do. And you're out all that money. It could be a hundred thousand dollar order that cost you 30,000 pounds or whatever to, to produce, you know, and that's, that's the danger of being in that world. Um, obviously you have to work on percentages and hopefully it's not a huge percentage of your, of your yearly yeah grosser orders but um but it, yeah i mean it sucks. Just, yeah but, it sucks but i, you know, I it's think happened. i don't actually have anything bad to say about asos at all like i because it was i feel just like we, they, we wanted you to totally shit talk them <laughs> on the <this> show <laughs> i really can't like it is what it is like basically that company and i'll get on a bit about sustainability in a second but like um the movement that we've been from the beginning, like from, I mean, it was great when we were supplying dead stock that obviously using product that's already out there is obviously the best product to use because it has like hardly any footprint. But aside from that, like the movement that we actually had in like the amount of waste that we were like, we had to record all of our waste and we had to use certain bags and like, and it, I grew so much understanding this industry of sustainability from being at ASOS. And I think they, I mean, they're fast fashion, like they're producing, you know, too much fashion. That's why it's fast fashion. Um, and so I don't, you know, that's not great, but 
the actual level of like their red tape, let's call it, is so high that you can't produce, you know, really toxic clothing in there. And like, and I think I learned a lot actually about like audits and like legal like issues I've dealt with with eight. So like, there's nothing that you could throw at me that I haven't dealt with. That's how I feel like right now. Like, um, um, that's great. I have, I have that. I want, I want to jump into that because I know that's a big deal when you're producing overseas in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to touch on one, one more thing before we get off this ASOS topic. So you were selling them. Um, and again, I don't want to shit talk ASOS. Like, you know, everybody has their levels of what is acceptable to them. Um, and that's totally f- Fine. It's not my place to say, or maybe it is my place to say, but anyway, I want to talk about this topic. So the, 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 um, you were selling them dead stock, right. And then reclaimed vintage moved into producing new product. Mm -hmm. Right. So now there becomes like so many uh, gray areas in this uh, system. And I see this all over the world. I see this in all corporations. So this is not a, this is not solely a size. This is just a, something that happens in all big companies nowadays. They're doing super good with vintage. They're seeing sales go up. They're like, shit, we, we need this machine to keep moving because we've built it. Then they, then we, they start producing new uh, reproduction vintage and calling it reclaimed vintage or calling it mm-hmm. upcycled or calling it whatever they call it in their own company. Now, you know, you can sit back and justify that as like, well, reclaimed vintage is just a brand name. It's not, mm-hmm. doesn't mean a thing, but in reality it does kind of have a, it does have an implication in people's brain. Mm-hmm. You know, it means something when you hear that. So you know, I guess, how do you feel about that? Not, you know, and then also like, you know, what are, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? So I think, so I've come really from, you know, vintage background and also like my mom, like never bought anything new. She's, my mom's a really good sewer. Everything we had was secondhand when we were growing up. And I think that essence of like working at Efferson Frank, Frankie, like that has like, I really wanted to bring that into this. And that's what Reclaimed Vintage was for years. Like we were just, you know, reworking old denim shirts and like huge guys in Florida. And I was like, make them smaller. These guys are too small. Anyway, and so that losing that essence was like, it was painful. Like, but it's just another, and it's not saying, you know, I'm weak because I, I couldn't stand up to the huge, what they're asking me to do like um and I think at the end of the day like they are trying to sell core product and so they're trying to get their core best sellers and get them over and over again they can just see this is selling we need this 10,000 more of this and so it's really hard like because that's not possible like and it's it's just the way it went and it's really sad like if I could keep uh, could have kept an element of it as it was like I was saying you know shouldn't it be that 90% of the the apparel is actually vintage and then like we can make it somewhere else to get the audit like it was just so like it it was just beyond at that point that I just feel it just that's just how the times are these huge corporations have a lot of like red tape with like what audits they need to do like 
that everything has to pass this certain test, like that all the zippers need to be tested, blah, blah, blah. That's just how it's gone. So we've tried to solve this problem, but then we've actually created another problem because we can't use the waste. Like as we, like I even suggested, like, can't we use like, recycled materials like we're getting it from the rag yard or whatever and then make clothes out of it but even still like the fabric's not the yarn's not been created in like a tests facility we can't it's so much there's there's so much about it that's like a corporate situation and like anyway I'm glad I don't have to deal with like all of that kind of stuff right now because we make the decisions if someone asks some comes yeah, to us and asks great. us to make a fully virgin polyester sweatshirt we're gonna say push back on it and say no actually there's better materials that you can use because these we've got these materials x y and z and because we've got these connections in China um we can make it like an affordable price because that's basically when you come to someone and say hey I want we do a lot of outreach like and we also have people like clients coming to us but you know with a company like Nike like we can they're they're looking at I mean quality is very important but also price how can we make this with better materials that are sustainable but how can the price stay similar so that the customer is still there and doesn't get affected by that. So I think we're always just like trying to push with that because, you know, people ask us for crazy things like, can you make these bags out of Pinatex, like pineapple leather? We're like, well, we're not there yet. We're not there yet with like natural leathers for it to be, you know, at a price that's comparable to vegan leather or poly like yeah and that comes that comes with uh demand and people actually creating that demand um i was at a factory the other day buying some vintage and i won't i'm not going to call anybody out on this but you know he was producing for one of these brands that was supposed to be vintage and he was just ripping gildan tags out of brand new sweatshirts tie-dyeing them and putting them into the system. And the way he spoke about it, it wasn't even like a question that that was weird for him, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, ah, that's like, to me, I'm like, that's, you know, and again, I've done it too. I want to say this, like I've done it. Like we, we made, we took vintage, like we had dead stock, those fresh Prince hats, right? They sold like crazy. And eventually we're like, fuck, let's just make these things. We put our label in them. We didn't call them vintage anymore, but we, we sold them. And I'm like, that's the same, same exact thing. Right. And I've done it, you know, and this guy was doing it, but the way he spoke about it was very, like, he didn't care. It was kind of just so normal for him to like mm-hmm. pass those off for his vintage order. Yeah. And I think, I think the one thing I want to say about it is that, you know, as consumers, <clears throat> it's sort of your job as a buyer. If you're out there at a store and something says this, or it's called vintage or it's that, that's just a hit word for people yeah. now. It's not even like it means anything. You have to actually check it, understand where it's being made, who it's being made by. Uh, is it really vintage in the first place? Or is that just the brand name? Or are they just calling it that? Um, so just be wary because there's no regulatory system for this yet. And I think the industry will eventually hopefully get there, but there isn't at this point. So beware. Yeah. But let's, so let's get into now what you're up to. Do good factory. Cause I know now you've switched your gears. You're, you're, you, you produced for Frankie hundred percent, um, organic cotton track suit. That was organic, awesome. Yeah. Um, 
which yeah, yeah if you haven't organic. bought them please do because i this is another thing you can't tell how like dope the material is until you felt it and that's what's really hard about running like you know a business which is essentially online that people yeah. they don't know what it's like until they feel it and then they're like whoa this is it's really good quality like it's gonna last oh, a long great. time and that's i think that's what we're also trying to share like with do good battery that it's coming from the design and the sourcing and everything that is making it also sustainable to sustain something is to you know keep it as it is to make it last for a long time which is really interesting because when you look at the frankie sweatsuit for example that we made this you can wash it so many times like the the dyes actually will stay on the material longer because they don't have all these toxic chemicals and they and the all the fabrics like GOTS organic certified we use like water-based inks um and so anyway you can wash this many many times and it's not going to peel or like the fabric's not constantly degrading as it is in cheap materials and i so what the the problem is right now is changing consumer behavior to we've got so into this fast fashion of like oh we want to make it like we want to buy a top for five dollars because we can buy a top for five dollars and that's because the media like and these huge stores have tricked us into thinking this costs five dollars when actually it really doesn't cost five dollars like there's someone at we're always saying when the client says to us can we get it cheaper we're saying at what cost like when someone says to us can you reduce the price like when we send out a cost sheet i always say just to let you know we don't go back to the factory and ask them for a reduced cost here any reduction of cost is on a do goods margin because we strongly believe that we don't want to put a factory in a position where they're going to have to think oh we have a subcontracting policy so they can't do this with us but you know with other people they could just contract it out to another factory that's not audited or get you know someone that's not of age to be manufacturing for them it's, it's so risky and i don't think it's right to put a factory in that position because they're usually giving us a true cost um so yeah i just think like morally the garments that we wear on our body is like it's so important that we understand the journey that it's been through so at Do Good, we are, you know, we're a des- we're a responsible design and manufacturing company, and I've really made this happen because looking at you know certain things that happened at ASOS, like and other large brands that we've dealt with, like waste is one of the huge things that we deal with. So for example, we don't ship anything in single use plastic, so we just ship it with. Recycling. So you don't you you don't okay so. Because that's a, that is a prerequisite of a lot of big companies. They need it to be polybagged. Yeah. Well, so I went for a meeting actually at Everlane once, and I they're a really interesting company because everything is so white. Even their office is so white. I spilled a turmeric juice on their couch, and it was so white. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, <laughs> nice. this is not a good moment. Yeah. Anyway, so um, hopefully they didn't realize that. <laughs> no one's listening. Um, so. Yeah, I said to them, like, how do you guys not use single-use plastic? Like, everything's white. And they were like, you know, we just pack it with recycled paper. And this is the same thing we've been doing. And then they 
with the box, the interior of it is just single-use plastic. So there's no single-use plastic in their whole supply chain. And I just love that, like, if you say that's what you're doing, that's what you're doing, like, and there's no going back. So if, like, a big company says, well, it needs to be packaged in this, we'll just say, well, you can purchase a a PLA home compostable bag from us but other than that we're not we're just we're just putting it in recycled paper and then the box is protected about against moisture and like the boat but um yeah yeah I think that's awesome because I I've been required to polybag things before I think it's total bullshit and I've also received lots of orders in polybags which I also think is total bullshit it's such a waste because those bags don't even all they do is protect the garment from the factory to you in the box because yeah. they come out of the box. It's not a shipping bag. It's literally a pre-shipping bag. Mm-hmm. So there's no purpose for it. It's yeah. the most insane waste. And it's like, that. I just don't like the fact that the customer has to deal with that. Like, why do they have to deal with a box with bubble wrap? Like, why are they dealing with that if they bought, like, I don't know, a sports bra? Why are they dealing with that? Like, they're having to think. And in America, it's really hard to recycle single-use plastic we take all of ours to new seasons but a lot of people don't even know that but it's like you just put the people were just putting it in the bin and it's like i just don't want to give a customer that extra thing of how do i recycle this or is this maybe i can't even recycle this why are we giving additional waste to people when they're not even going to reuse that bag anyway so um i think all of these like little things that do good are like just really important and we're at this stage like where the business is you know, we're strong enough to be able to always push back and say, actually, no, we're not going to do that because we can do that. And we have the confidence that like, they're not going to go anywhere because we know that this is what the world needs to hear and that we need to cut the waste for, from manufacturing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you've shifted into that world and now you're really focused in that. You know, we've talked about this so much over the years, um, but I think the world needs more people like you who are focused on it, who make it accessible for everybody else to do that. Because even in my own journey over the years, I've had such issues in dealing with these factories direct. Um, certain factories won't even touch sustainable anything. And, and again, that word to me is, is so BS in a way, you know, you called, you just said it yourself. You said do good is a, um, responsible manufacturer. Is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which I love that because the word sustainability in itself is somewhat of a greenwash territory because, you know, you kind of said it, uh, sustaining means it can last. So sustainability means we, I have the definition right here. This is from a dictionary, okay? The ability to, to be maintained at a certain rate or level. So when we're talking like sustainable stock of fish, we can take a certain amount where like that stock of fish in the ocean will never decrease ever, Um, It also says avoidance of the depletion of natural resources in order to maintain an ecological balance. Okay. Now, when you think sustainability within fashion, it's so tricky because can you continue to do something a certain way forever? So can we make clothing in a certain way forever without impacting the environment? And the answer to that question in like 80% of the cases is probably... No, we can't. So 
you know, I like use, I like how you use responsible because that's what much more better, a better way to put it. Because in reality, most of what we do, even in the sustainable fashion world, isn't sustainable. We're doing it a better way. We're doing it a more responsible way. And we're learning as we go and we're trying to make it better. But essentially when we call it sustainable, that's perfect. That's a perfect system that never depletes and it hasn't really gotten there. No. And I think like, it's all about being intentional. Like how are we being, and that goes with being responsible, like how are we being intentional about what we're making and like, how can we choose fabrics thinking of the whole end of life cycle, like for the garments. So we're going from like raw materials literally to end of life. And I think, and that's including the, how we wash garments. And one of the interesting things that has often come up, like we've started manufacturing activewear. So we have just to let you guys know. So we have three manufacturing hubs. One is in China. We have 14 factories there in Portugal. We have three factories. And then in the U S we have two factories and one garment dyeing house. And so these are all of our partner factories that we've chosen individually because they are gold standard factories who we've worked with for years. I mean, in China, we've been working there for nearly 11 years. Um, And so these relationships are like, you know, we know the people that are working in the factory. We've had lunch with them. We know what their kids are like up to. Like, it's just such a family um, business, like from all angles that I feel like we're supporting the local community there. And we really care about the work and we care about the people. And we just last week was Fashion Revolution Week, 18th to the 25th. Yeah, 25th, 18th to 24th. And so we were um, sharing, you know, journeys of like all the workers in the factory. We've got so many. We haven't, we're still going to have to post it this week because we've got so many um, like wonderful people that work in our factories that are really passionate about sharing with us what they do. And um, so, you know, and each of them have very specific jobs. Like one of the guys just puts the tape on the hats and another of the girls, she's like the fourth QC checking person. Like, it's so highly like it's just like wonderful to like know what these people do like one of the guys has like a two-year-old daughter and he loves his plant garden and that's what he does in his spare time I love just to have like to show them that we care about them like to give them some love like we give them business and we never ask for prices to be reduced it's just not what we do and so I think that they have a respect for us. But it's been a hard, it's been a hard task in China. Like when I, I used to go to China, as you know, like a lot, like I'd spend like a couple of months a year, like collectively like going on four trips and I get to the factory and they'd be like, can I speak to the manager? And I feel like I am the manager, like this is it. And like, and it was just so funny just being a woman, like then in the beginning and they're so polished and like so and I'm like strolling in in like sneakers and jeans and like like who is this girl and and I went through some like times that you know like so did you have did you have issues because it's like a male dominated thing or how did that play it was yeah I mean I've had some difficult difficult conversations even you know in the UK like being a woman, it wasn't like it is now, 11 years ago, dealing with like people who were execs, like at big companies, there was always an element of like, can you really do this? Like, and I felt that really strongly. 
and I feel so confident like now as I feel so equal like now and I feel like I've had to uh, I've had to work harder to become an equal like two men in similar positions but in manufacturing it's a mostly male-led industry like in the garment factories it's mostly women that are working on the floor but in managerial positions it's basically all men um, so that's been like really interesting, but I think it's actually helped them shift their mindset as well, dealing with a fully women led agency. And all the girls that work for me, they're just bosses, like absolute bosses, like maybe came in like not as confident. And now they're just like running the show. We're a cooperative. So everyone is equal in our agency. So everyone is so well respected because like I don't speak Mandarin so they are like you know having these difficult conversations saying where is this like let's get this going we need this material blah 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 and it's so can you explain that a bit uh, I love that idea how does that work how does a cooperative where everybody's equal work is that just in the labeling of the roles is that just in the the workload like how deep does that equality go? I think it's the labeling of the roles. Like Yu Meng, who's worked for me for five years, is um, director of strategy and design. Like it's, it's because we're a smaller company, like people can get elevated easily, but if they work hard, have another girl, Yu working for me, who's like outstanding. She's Taiwanese, wonderful human. Like if, yeah, I mean, I just love them both so much. And, um, and we just have this level of respect that Everyone's amazing at what they do, but we we couldn't do each other's job. So I think that that's where it is a cooperative that like, okay, you're a badass in design and communication. You are like running this ship is yours. And everyone has their own clients. So what's really cool about Do Good is like, I can say to the girls, okay, who's your dream client? Let's get in touch with them. And they can just like send me a list of five clients and I'll send this like, I do all like the new business and partnerships. So I'll, con- I'll do the outreach, like contact them and then I'll get this going. And because I want everyone to be working on projects that they are like so passionate about, because otherwise there's no point in like getting up if you don't believe in what you're doing. And so yeah. I've just tried to get rid of like anything that's toxic that comes into the business. Like I just don't like it. And so we just won't have a relationship with anyone that, doesn't respect us basically so there's just none of that energy anymore like they used to be like so you know we can't get talked down to or like oh you need to do this by this day actually we're calling the shots because we are it's our factories and we have a leverage over them and we, we do good work we're very professional and we're quick so I feel like we can it's we're in charge now so I really like that and clients like us to take that like creative input um, I will speak on that too, that I think the doing your own manufacturing is very hard. I've done it. I've been there. We're still doing it. Um, for any brand that wants to get into this space, you know, you should be focusing on the marketing. You should be focusing on your brand and your design. Let someone like Tilly take the manufacturing away out of your hands that frees up your bandwidth to then go and do what you should be doing, which is building your brand, not 
worrying about the manufacturing side of things. It's so helpful to have an agent or a, or a, um, an agency like you guys do that. And I'm glad that you just um, said that because a client summed up really well for us the other day. She said to me, and she just totally got it. And sometimes you'll be on a meeting and you'll be like, I'm going to use that. Like, And she just said, you know what? Having do good is like having my own in-house team of four people who work for me because it's that personal. We're so like everyone's a priority. And someone said to me, sorry, we're just a little fish. And I was like, we love big fish and little fish because we want to help emerging designers as well, because they are doing cool shit that we want to be a part of. And um, we help a lot of graduates who just come out of school. We give them like really, yeah, our margin's very tiny on like their projects because we want to help them with I always just think that this is a clear path to manufacturing, do good is. And it's, there's so many shady companies out there because a lot of them come to us and like they want to work together. And I'm like, no. Um, but to have like a company that's like, we can just bring the, even if they don't have the creative done, they're just like, we just have a logo and like a Pinterest board. We can put together a whole deck of like, you guys should do this because it'll look shit hot. And then they just run with it because no one's got any time. And I just say to them, you just focus on building the brand. It's like exactly how you said it, because we we're not going to do that for them. And I think people don't realize how many steps there are to actually manufacturing something and getting out the door. Um, and we also move it with our logistics company. So um, there's just so many steps like yeah. wake up. I got a hundred emails like that's just a normal day. So and I think if they got to see like the flip side of what we're dealing with, they'd just be like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. So if, if anybody wants to contact Tilly, contact Do Good and start work on manufacturing with them, there'll be a link down below to contact her um, and the rest of her team. So definitely do that. We talk a lot about sustainability on this episode. Again, that's a bullshit hit word. In reality, all you can do is be responsible and decide for yourself what your level of comfort is in that world. But one thing that definitely is good is selling used clothing. And you can go sell all your used clothing and vintage on bidstitch.com and pay zero commission fees. eBay, Etsy, Poshmark, Grailed charge huge commissions. They charge huge commissions. You sell on bid stitch, zero commissions. And right now it's completely free. Link down below. Um, I want to kind of switch it here and go into um, some sustainability topics or some responsible topics or whatever you want to call it. Um, and let's talk about China a little bit more. China is very stigmatized, for lack of a better word, when it comes to manufacturing. There's like obviously been lots of movement back, bring, bring back manufacturing to America, you know, and then it's been sort of demonized, this like sweatshop um, image that we all see sort of that's been like um, programmed into our mindset by whoever over the years in this, this like anti-China manufacturing um movement but you know in the end of the day you know china made their own choice to become a manufacturing world powerhouse it wasn't the rest of the world that said you guys should go do this it was like they were like we're gonna do this so that we can control supply of goods around the world now 
that being said, um, people also, they have that sweatshop image and they, you know, they, they don't understand like the difference in um, wage versus quality of life, right? You can't compare a wage in America to a wage in China. You just cannot. It's not the same thing at all. It doesn't cost the same to live in China as what it costs to live in Los Angeles. Probably in lots of different places in China cost different amounts to live in certain places in China. So, you know, what's your opinion on that? And I think like until people can't just cast their, their, their like blind judgment or opinions on these things until they know more about, about what's actually happening and the auditing systems and like potentially that, that low wage that they think is unfair is actually a great wage for somebody living and has a great standard of living there. Yeah. So I'm glad that you brought this up because I genuinely feel like I've spent a lot of time in China. I've worked with Chinese girls for 11 years. So I feel like I have quite a good understanding, not culturally, but um, just of the way things are and with the workforce. We've done a lot of work um, within China to kind of, yeah, campaign for safe places for children to come and play, like when they've got to come to work with their parents and so on. I think China gets really badly labeled. And the fact of the matter is that there's good and bad factories everywhere. Like so many things have come out, you know, factories in Turkey, something's happening, factories in Portugal. There's good and bad absolutely everywhere. And that stands for America as as well. And I think like what you're talking about is reshoring these, like we're trying to reshore here, like bring, you know, manufacturing back to America because now we have a Portland-based office and a London-based office. And a lot of our clients in the U.S., there was these huge global shipping situations anyway. So a lot of the clients in the US, they want to manufacture in the US and we want those clients and we want to manufacture there. So that's fine. But most of the proportion of our business is in China. So we focus like our efforts at making sure that the factories that we're working with are BSCI audited. It's a social audit, are environmentally audited. And also they work with the fair labor schemes. So they are getting paid good wages for what they're doing. And I think it's also good to know that in the factory industry, mostly what's happening is, for example, in garment working, the women are coming from extreme like rural villages, like outside of, you know, Iwu, for example, where we have factories there. Um, and they're coming from these remote areas and they're coming to work and they work for maybe two or three years they make good money. They send it back to their family. Sometimes the women, like they might meet a husband there in the city and they start their life there or they go back to where they, the village that they live and that, and they're happy. Like they're happy in our factories. They're happy with that. That's the norm for them. And I think it's really quite disrespectful to put our wants and needs and how we see it on them because that's not their life and they might be perfectly happy doing that. And I think as long as the factory has really good standards and it's it's coming from an HR point of view as well, like who are they hiring? Are people happy? Like do are their kids do they have enough money to to put their kids in daycare? Does the factory have like a safe space for the kids to come and like 
play if they're off school and then the mum can't stay home with them or something like there's there's so many like tears of it that I think it gets really badly like there's yeah I think it's like there's a lot of prejudice I can even say that I think there's a lot of racism in this industry um from comments that people have said to me in the past and I think it's not right like the level of I mean you've bought product that we've made in China like the expertise is really it's really high standard what they're producing and that's yeah and, and I will say that too I've been to lots of factories in LA I've seen the worst shittiest dumps of factories in LA and that I don't see those people getting audited but yet the label made in USA gets so glorified mm -hmm. and I'm talking like substandard work conditions in LA yeah um yet and I've I've worked with factories in LA in China that have like completely state-of-the-art machinery um yeah. super clean polished uh workspaces like I'm talking top top tier they have so the technologies in production there are beyond what we have yeah. here and you know we we look at it the opposite you know the public perception is the opposite of that and the other you know i guess the one the one thing it has to be said is like is is the the greenhouse um <laughs> like effect not the greenhouse effect but the um what do you call it? Like when it, the carbon footprint, sorry, yeah. because it's coming from China. So you can't ignore that. The carbon footprint yeah. coming from China obviously is a lot greater than made in America going to America. Yeah. So that has to be considered. But, you know, I think we, um, there's different ways to look at it. Like when the, the weird public perception is we're forcing our shit on them. They have to make it to our cheap level so that we can have our quality of life here. And the other thing is like, what about they offered to make it in the first place? They're the ones that came to us and said like, we are here to make it for you. Bring us your, your orders. Cause we want to be this um, thing. So. And they're very, <sighs> they're so hard. Like they're so hardworking and honest and like, any with China, it's like anything you want to make happen is a yes. And like, and one thing that you know we can't like we we make a lot of activewear now, and um, we can't get bonded seams in the US. It's just not what they we. It's just not a specialty. Whereas in China, it's like it's very it's good and it's very good. Another interesting thing I just want to bring up about this is that like. I went to a fabric fair a couple of weeks ago in Portland, functional fabric fair. There's lots of like out, outerwear and activewear and whatever. And so it was really interesting because there was such a focus on people were like, you know, buying materials from Italy because they're Italian made. But the funny thing is they're sending it to China to, man to sew it and then they're sending it back to the US to make it. So at Do Good, we're always just trying. I mean, sometimes people want to send their fabric from Italy. It does happen. We've got a client like that, and that's fine. But like, we're thinking about the route as well because we're thinking about like how many times has this material traveled to get to from A to B, and so we're trying to cut that down anyway. So um, 
yeah. So interestingly, I would just bring it slightly onto materials, but people always come to us and they ask us for biodegradable materials because they're thinking, what is the end of life for this actual garment? And that's a yeah. really cool topic because, um, you know, anything that starts with poly is plastic. And so this is like, it's not built to degrade in like less than, I think it's 400 years, really. Even a cotton t-shirt, if it's conventional, takes 200 years to degrade. Anyway, so we're looking at like right now, we're looking at biodegradable materials for active wear. But the thing that it can't be make it biodegradable is elastane. Um, it's That's the one thing that it can't degrade. You can put anything else with it, like hemp. But um, yeah, we've we found some really cool fabrics in China recently. One of them is Serona. So they grow the crop either in the US or they have started growing it in China. And it's corn. It's coming from corn. And these, um, they create these like, I think it's a cor- like a chip from this. And anyway, it creates um, this fabric called Serona and they're blending it. That's the stretch in the material. So it's it's like groundbreaking. Here is a sample right here, actually. Um, but yeah, it's like... Billy comes well prepared to the podcast, people. I know, look at this. Okay, you can't actually see this, but you can stretch it. But anyway, really cool because this is like, this is groundbreaking. Like, like what bio, like polyester are we creating? It's like the next step, but we've got to make it like, this is good. And have you, have you like researched deep into this fabric of the the production method and everything about it yeah i mean i met someone actually in the states um in at portland in the fabric fair i had like a short meeting with him one of my the i know i'm i'm not on materials i have an amazing team that are but you yeah. and me, she met with serona in london as well and um cool. yeah we're going to start using them which is cool because people can come to us and say hey this is so soft by this massive yoga brand but what it actually is, is plastic is making it soft. And we don't want to use that anymore. So we're pushing back on that and saying, actually, we've got this really cool biodegradable yeah. elastane, which is Serona created from corn. So um, this is I, this is the one place where I, I think corn should be allowed and acceptable. Because we it's it's in, it's in ketchup. It's in your drinks you drink. It's in every sauce you buy. It's in all the corn is basically like taking over our lives and it's terrible to eat, but I will say I'm down with corn in the clothing. Yeah. Corn in the clothing. That could be a whole other brand. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> or another podcast corn in the clothing. Yeah. You gotta have that, a farm. No, cool. you gotta so have can you tell us what, what other, go ahead. You gotta have a farmer hat and a piece of corn sticking out your mouth. Duh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the brand. That's the logo. So what other, what other fabrics are biodegradable? You said, you said conventional cotton takes 200 years. What about organic cotton? How long does that take? Um, so organic cotton, I think is like naturally degrading in like normal circumstances. Cause I think even 200 years for conventional is like in industrial, um, climate. But so right now, yeah. So cellulose fibers like acetate, for example, we've been using, um, eco vero viscose is really interesting. These are all coming from wood pulp. So anything like that is biodegradable and you can switch it out like silk, for example. This is really cool. Actually, 
vegan silk, everyone thinks LP silk is so great, but actually it's not ethical either because it's still using, like whether it's recycled or not, it's still using a baby silkworm and boiling it in the process. So vegan silk is like a really good step forward because it's using cellulose acetate, which is from wood pulp. It's fully biodegradable and it's silkier than silk. So we pioneered this blend like two years ago and we worked with our friends at Neighborhood Botanicals. We made all their pillowcases and eye masks. And we're, we're really waiting for like a big brand to come to us and say like, Lanya, if you're listening to this, Lanya, we got the vegan silk cookup, but like, it's just so groundbreaking, like that kind of like movement, because why are we use? it stresses me out when people say, oh, this is vegan leather. Cause I'm like, this is actually just made the problem even worse because at least animal product is slightly degradable, but to have it fully plastic is just, it's not degradable at all. So I think there's like a lot of room. Do you know about the... So leather that we use, leather that we use for clothing obviously comes from cows, but does it come from the beef cow industry? So interestingly enough, um, I think it's not, there's actually a lot of waste created in this. And what, so when we were manufacturing watches for a large brand, Um, we had to get into tier five of manufacturing and tier five is like the farm the animal actually grew up on. And so when you start getting into that, this is why our do goods fully vegan. Like we only produce vegan products now. We don't deal with anything else. Um, because when you get to tier five, we realized that the watches were made from bison and like we were looking up, you know, like jungle book he's like wandering around on a bison this cute bison and I was like no like this is not okay so I don't know about we've never made leather bags or jackets or anything um so I only know about watches but in the end that was like that was bison and it it, when you start getting to that point of like traceability it feels weird it feels like why are we making this choice to use something like an animal product when we could, there's many other beautiful materials that are actually cheaper or like at the same price point that we can use. Yeah. Cause you know, but like you're, like you're saying, we have to be, we have to, again, that word vegan is just, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying about your company. You, you don't want to use animal products. Fair. But that v, that word yeah. vegan is a hit word it's that hit people word. have to watch out for again because yeah. it's bullshit. And 80% of vegan things are poly or plastic in the end. So you're like, I get it. You want You don't want to use animal products, but you shouldn't use plastic either. Yeah. And what we used to say, I, I think like footwear is a really interesting area that I'd love like to move on like a lot now because it's just basically, remember when we used to say, oh, like when you were getting school, shoes for school and then like back in the day, you'd say, oh, they're not even leather. I'm not going to get them because it felt like, yeah. oh, they're cheap. But now it's like a buzz thing that they're vegan, but they're actually just plastic. So I think that that needs to like kind of move the needle. But interestingly enough, like a large Scandinavian brand, which I can't mention, we had a meeting with them and they came to us and they're using a lot of recycled leather. And I was like, yo, why are you using this to make bags from when we could just, we could use something that's not animal based um and so i just feel like 
consumer like mindset needs to they brands like they they can set the tone for whatever they want actually like they can be the ones that are saying we're not using any animal products at all like because of x y and z like because i mean but i believe i uh, in my vintage belief system first of all a real leather jacket it's one of the things we still find these to this day from like probably a hundred years ago right yeah the reason it was for used in the first place is because it fucking lasts and it's durable, right? And it was an off product of some of a food source, essentially, right? Not vegan. I totally understand that. But if you're using recycled leather, these things already exist in the world. You know, there's the argument like uh, vintage fur. People are like so against mm-hmm. fur, right? But if this thing was killed 50 years ago, what are you going to just throw it in the landfill now or can it still live on? That's What's true. better for the yeah. planet at this point? That's right? True. I think for us, it's just like for traceability, we have to be so confident about where that is actually from. And I just, for me, like I was raised as a vegetarian. So for me, it just doesn't sit like, it's just a personal thing of like, when you get down to that kind of tier in it just, yeah, I mean, I've never worked in with leather apparel, so it's, I actually don't really have any experience with doing that. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I just, I that's just my lot, opinion. There's a lot of like, growth these... to happen. There's more, there's new materials. There's mushroom leather, which I'm stoked about, which is coming. Like, I mean, it's out there, but it's not, it still has to be bonded with something else because it's not um, durable enough to actually have the full garment from. It has to be laid onto like, something which is like him so it's not quite there yet but one thing i want to say uh i'm super jaded on all this because i i i don't know nearly as much as you about the intricacies of fabrics and different technologies and things i don't know i i'm like not the ex my team are the expert i'm like not but yeah you know i can speak on it shout shout out tilly's team shout out all of them um but yeah, I just I'm I've researched a lot of this. I've been to the Fashion for Good program where like I learned so many different um, eco or um, responsible technologies coming out, and I've done a lot of my own research and just working with you, working with other factories. I've learned a lot, you know, and I would say that I know a lot more about this topic than most people. But when you get too deep in this topic, you you really start to see that so much of it. Is bullshit. Mm. And, and another um, thing, you kind of solve a problem and then you're making another one. Like, it's really, yeah. you feel sometimes like you're going backwards. Like, it's really you, hard. Totally. And then, and then in the end of the day, you really just have to decide for yourself what is your standpoint personally? What is your standpoint personally? on the matter because there is no right or wrong per se to that perfect level. There's nobody out there that can say that they're um, perfectly sustainable because that, that would mean it's a perfect system and it's not yet. And, you know, some people want to go the vegan route. Some people want to use maybe real leather because that real leather jacket will last them their whole life instead of buying five vegan jackets right? That's a, that's a huge, another topic to get into when talking about responsible clothing. You know, I buy 
I'm wearing them right now. I wear them like every day. Everyone's probably like, why do you wear those pants every day, Drew? <laughs> um, they're, I buy Filson brand. It's a brand out of Seattle. You probably know them. They probably have a store in Portland. They are so fucking good. And I'll wear this pair of pants every day for three years and it still lasts. And to me, that is very responsible, mm-hmm. right? It's a $150 yeah. pair of pants. Lasts me three years. You know, other people might go out and buy $10, $40 pairs of pants. First, spend more money than I did and all that waste. So it doesn't always have to be like, the system in making it or the system in um, it being recycled or something like that. But if it lasts Mm -hmm. forever, that is way better to me as well. So that's what I've like, that's actually one of our main like points in do good is that whenever people ask us for, you know, materials X, Y, and Z, we say, no, actually let's make this, for example, the sweatsuits that we made for Frankie, they're 400 GSM organic gots cotton. They're heavy and they're going to last. And they, the material is a high, it's very high quality. The best that we can get on the market is what we always get. And so, um, I always say like, the interesting thing about the mindset of vintage is that we, you know, we're picking dead stock or we're, or we're picking in rag yards. And this is, you know, a pair of Levi jeans can last for a long time. And so it has longevity in this garment. And this is the interesting thing because in fast fashion, you know, when you go to Goodwill, you'll see all these like fast fashion brands and all the clothes are like, thin skanky looking peeled all over the place like and that's like what I always try and say to people like they'll say to me oh but this is a bit more expensive than what I wanted to make and like this garment you can pass it down to your daughter like this has more lives in this garment than you think it than this one singular purchase like you know like how many times have you worn it that like price per wear is really interesting because if you make something that lasts for a very long time like these old wool jackets that I used to like adore like picking in Canada like they're so cool because they have such a story about them like I can already say like I know that this you know sweatsuit that we made like it's gonna last a long time like I can give that to my daughter like that's gonna and I yeah. can say I made this and that's going to be yours. For my friend time. Alex, my friend Alex put it really well. He's like, we don't create sustainably, but we create clothing that will be future vintage. Yeah. You know, we create clothing that will be there in 20 years to be considered vintage at that time. And I think that's, that's viable too, you know? So yeah, it's important. Um, which leads me to something else, my new venture that I'm working on right now, which is my most exciting thing I've, it's the most exciting thing I've done in like years, but yeah, we are now creating brands for music artists. Um, so we just worked on, yeah, a big, uh, it's dropping soon. A, a collection with Tom Mish. He's yeah, a big artist in the UK. And then now we have another four, um, in the works, which are yeah, based in the U S and the UK, um, extremely big artists like we're really excited about this and I think it's really moving the needle because one people buy merch at 
like tours and then they just never wear it again it's got like you know shitty graphics like that just peel off and it's like thin fabrics we've all got them like wear them in bed or something but like we want to make you know have brands for these artists that they're gonna wear themselves and like and that and we're also gonna do like yeah tour merch as well we just did a big drop that yeah sold out on the u.s tour which is really exciting and um I just feel like I'm so pumped for this because I've wanted to be in this area for a long time. It's given me so much energy, even just like listening to so many artists and just being like pumped about that. But I just feel like it's also just so needed. Like everyone's on these like revenge so you nights. Can't name drop, you can't name drop yet your okay. new artist? No, but it's good. <laughs> Let me tell you that. Okay, sweet. So, um, yeah, and I just feel so like back to just like business and like, cause I truly believe that like this energy is like something you can't, not everyone has it, but if you do, it's like the most amazing like sparkle because now I feel I'm in a position like after being here for 11 years, we've earned this from like tagging sunglasses in my basement, like for hours and days and like, like having no money having some money putting all my money from like waitressing into the business and like working day and night like I've earned the right to be here so I feel like now that I'm having these meetings with this yeah exciting venture there's nothing I feel I don't know if you feel like this with your business but there's no one that you can meet that will ask you something you don't know that's how I feel like that no one can like, cause it, you know, before back in the day, like it was like, you know, I hadn't done my homework or something, but like now there's nothing that we haven't done that they can ask us for. Like someone said to us, what's like, that is such a good confident place to be at. I feel so like true. And I'm not like, you know, cause in the beginning you're like, fake it till you make it. And I'm not saying I've made it because in business you are on a constant it's working out, you're on a roller coaster, highs, lows, whatever. It could all just die at any point and you're aware of that, but you've got to resurrect it constantly. I'm like resurrecting it. But now we're just so good at what we're doing. And it's that I'm so passionate like and confident that there's nothing that can happen that they can throw at us that I haven't seen before. And that I, I yeah. there's nothing. And I then that gives you so much power going into meetings and you know confidence again going into these meetings and you know that's something that I definitely have gotten better at in the last like few years because we're now in so many meetings with corporate clients or uh, Frankie Collective partners or talking about collabs or manufacturing stuff and I'm like I swear some weeks I'm in meetings so I'm sure you are too like all the time right and you have to get good at uh, communicating and, and dealing with people and become good at these meetings. Yeah. And I think it's really cool. Like, cause sometimes you're in a meeting and like, Oh, this is like, you know, what, what am I getting from this? But every like conversation, you actually do gain something cause you gain, gain confidence about talking about what you're doing. And also they ask you a question, which you might not have thought of. Like we've got this really amazing working with us deck that we've put together because we've had meetings with like 
all these amazing clients that have asked us these questions. Well, have you got this audit? Have you got this, this? And we're like, yeah, we correlated all the information. It's all out here. We just like, now we're doing QR codes on all of our wash labels, which like directly leads to the factory that the garment was made in, um, which is like progressive. Like you guys did it on your collection. Like, and people ask us for that. Like they want full transparency on every, on every item. And so like there's, so many things that we can bring to the table now that like is just really cool and exciting and yeah 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 all that stuff takes a lot of work and a lot of legwork previously it's like years and years of work to get to where you are now that confident level but also just the, the systems in your company where you can now offer all these all these different things yeah um someone i don't know where i heard this but the the quote is confidence is built by keeping your word to yourself. So telling yourself you're going to do something and actually following through. Mm-hmm. Now, trust is built by keeping your word to other people, of course, which is also super important. And as a boss, that's again, something I've had to work on, you know, because we all expect our employees to keep their word to us, mm-hmm. but it starts with us keeping our word to our staff and it's a reciprocal thing. And I think trust and confidence is so important in like a, a well-functioning organization. Um, and uh, it's something I've been working on a lot in the last year. Yeah. And I mean, people want to, they want to work for you. Like, that's just how it is. That's how it is at Do Good. Like, I, we just advertised for a new role and I interviewed like probably 25 people and they all just want to work so bad. They want to like be here because they want to be like, loved and valued and have a sense of worth and like doing like good work that they care about and so that's similar to your company it just has good morals and you're making good product and you like can talk I could never do this before I could never say like I'm I love what we do like but now I'm like I'm I so am in love with what we're doing and I can confidently say that we're doing the best job like yeah that we can that's awesome I was talking to a coworker today about talking to you and asking her about like her thoughts on sustainable clothing and things. And um, she said that her husband used to get tasked to go in the back room of, you know, like skate shop. No. This is like, um, um, PacSun, you know, PacSun. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know PacSun. So I think, is like the second biggest so they have like a thousand stores around america oh, they're all in the malls anyway it's a skate yeah. shop when they had stuff they needed to get rid of they actually told them to go in the back room with a pair of scissors and cut up the t-shirts oh my god and throw them in the trash so obviously you being in this business we know this the kind of thing happens not specifically on the ground level like that but more like things getting burned in factories and you talked about the watches super hard to dispose of an order that didn't go through so what do you see companies doing nowadays to get rid of their their stock and do you see stuff happening in china and like company like what what's the protocols so i mean if it's already been shipped to the country that it's going to be sold in as in out of china then um they the companies need to create partnerships with organizations charities which makes it easy for the client to donate to them to raise money for global aid like that's how it should be like i mean firstly 
the forecast should be that the company shouldn't order something if they're going to cancel it because that's like you can say you're a sustainable company or whatever but like if you're going to do that kind of action then it's like you know it's not it's not good no names being named here but um yeah so i think and in china i mean we've never experienced that because we deal with it differently now because we get paid you know customers put down a 50% deposit like on a bulk order and then we pay it and then we make the collection it goes out so i think basically if it's there's an issue with the order which has never happened to us with do good so we basically we have four sets of samples so we have a proto a sample a top sample and then a first sample and so we have all of these checks in place that the qc is so high that we aren't going to just produce a bulk that's going to be like something's going to go wrong and be a disaster. So I think that brands have to have a really high level of like QC and have all of these steps in place to make sure that like mistakes don't happen, that something's stitched wrong. And that comes from a communication standpoint as well. Like who have you got that's speaking like local language to the factory? Because that's the most important thing in our business, having Mandarin speaking agents. Um, so yeah, but I mean, we don't really deal with any like product that has been made and needs to be disposed of. But large brands need to have yeah. these partnerships with charities, like at least, because I would just think that that was just makes sense. But, yeah. The, um, yeah, like I, I know there's like a clearance world of like jobbers, they call them, people that buy closeout products from stores right and then they sell it off to like market sellers or something or um you know sometimes the rag yards receive closeout shit and then they're they're like mandated to sell it overseas to get it out of the country the theory is that these brands don't want they don't want the free thrift store product to interfere with their retail sales which is i mean there would have to be a lot of a lot oh, of crazy. garbage product to send to the thrift stores to ever like really affect their retail. I think, isn't it good marketing for the brand though to put their stuff into a store? You'd think, oh, they're doing that bit. Like uh, that's what I, I think say, when I see like X amount of like clothes from a brand, like in a charity shop, thrift store. Yeah. You know, I think though <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of these brands, again, I'm not going to name names, a lot of these big brands, they love to tell you they're doing great things. And in the end of the day, they're not. And what's more important to them is, is keeping their shareholders happy, keeping their shareholders, seeing increased profits quarter over quarter. And don't really do whatever it takes to get that for them. But as um, a small business, you shouldn't, like you've dealt with, I know I'm not going to say the name, but you've dealt with orders being cancelled before. And as a small business, I mean, yours is maybe medium size. We can say whatever about mine. I'm but still like, very small. Yeah. <laughs> micro businesses. There should be policy that that shouldn't be able to happen to, because, you know, there should be a level of respect that someone's built something from the ground up with no investment. And then... That some of those things could take you down, but you just got to have a base level of like capital to be able to for that to happen and you to be okay at the end of it. And then you've got to set your principles that you're not going to deal with that 
country again. Yeah. And, you know, you obviously have systems now that you're saying that you take 50% deposit. So you're securing yourself from these problems, right? Nobody's going to cancel a 50% deposit. Yeah. On an order, or if they do, at least you recoup your cost or something. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a lot of like, on- oh, sorry, no, go ahead. Like just con- other contracts in place. You know, we have a child labour policy, we have a subcontracting policy, we have a non-disclosure agreement so that the client's designs and logos can't get replicated anymore. So any of these legal situations, like we've already dealt with it, we have a client portal that. Every client has their own password and they log on and they can see all of their documents that have been signed by the factory. We also have a non-compete with all of our factories so that our clients can't use them for two years after working with us. So every like box has been ticked because we've already been through it. So I feel like that. Just look having at you, a lower, look at you go. Yeah. But You're having, so professional. <laughs> well, it's just having a level of like, you, you need that to be in conversation, you know, with, the big guns and say, actually, yeah. yes, I have got X, Y, and so everything's in place. So you don't need to worry about that. So that's good. Yeah. I'm dealing with uh, a company right now that we're going to be selling. We're going to be selling Frankie and Nordstrom's pretty soon, right? In in some of their stores. It's crazy because you were doing Topshop back then. Yeah. We did a Topshop program for a while. Uh, obviously, Topshop now is totally gone. Um, yeah. And Nordstrom, we're excited about because it's like it's it's a it's a better demo for us, we believe. But dealing with these companies and working to ha- uh, ship the, there's so much red tape mm-hmm. in you know the legal side of things first of all, but then also in the shipping. You're like barcodes for this, yeah. bag it this way. It has to come with a hanger. It has to be this. It has to be folded away. If it's not, if it's you not can get in this yeah, if it's not in the size box, we're going to find yeah. you. I mean, like, by the end of the day, it's like, how, you could be fined out of all your profit if you don't ship these products properly. Because yeah. these companies are so big, they have such, like, stringent systems in place to handle their product. Um, so it, it becomes a lot of work. It becomes a lot of work to deal with this kind of thing. I, I know what it's like. But speaking about that, let's let's. I want you to shout out, say, like, your top five uh, favorite companies right now who are pushing forward responsibly. Oh, top five. That's going to be tough. Um, I feel like Evelina up there right now. They're awesome. Um, I what I really love about them is like full transparency about their factories. Um, so that's really great. Want to shout out Blue Bottle Coffee as well because I do know the owners. And um, they're just doing great things because they're trying to, yeah, cut down completely on using any single-use items. So, for example, they're talking about, you know, if we have a branch in an airport, there would just be a mug. You just drink your coffee there and then you go. So that's really cool. Um, Another one, um, Get Joggy, Ty Haney's new venture from Outdoor Voices. That's really cool. Like CBD, um, all in like aluminium cans, like CBD, like oils for runners. Um, So that's really cool. Obviously, Do Good is amazing, doing great shit all the time. Um, And then, yeah, I think also Frankie Collective, let's use them as number five. Um, I just think it's really cool, like, I just particularly like this, like, um, Goodwill, like the SoCal, like Goodwill Billie Eilish thing that you guys just did last weekend. I just think it's really cool because it's like what I was having this conversation with this guy from this factory in LA the other day. 
And mainly what we really need, like aside from, yeah, people want to place orders, whatever, we want to change consumer behavior. Like that's what we want to do. So you even, you know, doing that project with Billie Eilish, it's like so out there. You're showing people that they can go to Goodwill and they can buy an outfit and they can make it look cool and they can go and rock it like at home. Like, so, and it's just making it more like, you know, cult behavior to do that. Like it's making it more popular culture to do that. Like, and another point on that is like, how are we sharing the information? Like all these kids clothes are made with all these toxic chemicals, right? So if we're not using like certified organic, um, certified organic cotton, and then these non-toxic dyeing um, methods, which is actually just bicarbonate of soda and salt, and then these natural dyes, there's the runoff is complete water. It's like completely clear. So there's no toxic pollution. So how are we sharing the message that you can either buy that is like what do good would make, or you can buy this toxic um, chemical, which is on these kids' clothing from another huge brand. How are we sharing our knowledge of manufacturing or you in vintage, like being in this industry? How are we constantly sharing this message to change consumer behavior? Because I think that's like, we can sell as much product as we want, but we want people, we want people to change their like values and like, reassess like their ethics so I think that that's so important like and I I want to make you know more of a community at Do Good where we can show more about our manufacturing who makes our clothes we're like trying to share more about this message but I really want to show people like the inside of like the factory and the workers that are making it and what materials and like that we're using the dye house and everything yeah. it needs to share knowledge for these people to understand don't buy this you need to get this instead or yeah yeah you know i think that's a very important topic because it's it comes back to education educating your customer base educating um the general population on all these different things that are happening like it's one thing to create something that's cool that people just want but that's the easy part really you know, and the hard part is educating them on what you're doing and getting them to understand that there's more to it. That takes a lot of work. It's very hard. And I, I'll, I will attest to that from the work we've done with Frankie Collective. You know, Frankie Collective never started to be an environmentally focused brand. Over the years, we realized like what we are doing is is very respons- responsible. And um, it's important and the work we're doing is important and people should be educated on it and educated on the, the fashion industry in general. And it was ve- it's still very hard to have people buy into that. You know, in the end, most people still just want something cool that looks cool, that someone famous wore or whatever it is. And, you know, I'm not saying humanity's lost here, but the education piece and the, uh, you know, teaching people about what is going on in the fashion industry um, needs to be worked on. And, and I think done in a, in a fun way, in a positive way, because I've learned also that doing it in a somber way is like the worst thing you can do because people just don't want to be scared right people don't want to be scared memes memes now and like funny reels like 
Exactly. They, they don't want it. They don't want it. Like they don't want to be scared. Basically, the, this like five dollar t shirt thing is really funny because well, interesting. I mean, it's horrific actually. If you think about it, but it's changed the mindset of people believing that a t shirt can be five dollars, and then every time they see a t shirt thirty dollars, they think, oh, I'm not going to pay this. It's like too, like why am I going to pay that? But the extra like. Let's say to make something organic with natural dyes, etc., is an additional five dollars per unit. That's normally what the price difference is. So it's whether or not like we can change the consumer's behavior to believe like, hey, buy this, and it will not only look like this for a long time, it will last for a long time. You can why are they buying something for this short? Everything's so short-lived in this like throwaway culture. Everything is short-lived. And we're just buying that like, oh, I can just get this now for fun. And Amazon, you know, is horrific, like making us think everything's like, we're not going, we need to bring back the personal like shopping experience, which is, I've been thinking a lot about this recently with like TikTok, people that have a selling product on there and they're calling out these, like they're saying like, hey, Drew, I've got your pants here. I'm just packing your order up. And it's so that's this personal engagement is like so important, like, because that's what we used to do. We used to go to a store and someone knew our name and they'd say, Hey, Drew, do you want like, come over here? I'll show you these like fill some pants. Like, like, so that, that we need to get back to that personal, where has this been made? Where has this come from? Like who made this? I'd love to have a hang tag on the garment of a picture of the person that made the clothing. Say this is the person that made your clothing. Like we care about these workers. We're paying them fair wages, like through the fair labor scheme. So there's so many parts that you know. I agree. And I just think, I think it needs to be discussed. How, how do we deliver that, that information? Like you said, a hang tag will be great, you know, more in depth. And again, you got to make that hang tag so intriguing that people want to really actually read it, you know, or like, more uh, video content about the brand um, and more like vlogging person. Like that stuff really works because people then can be, they can see behind the scenes of your company, you know, videos of the factories or videos of how say Frankie's made and all these things that, you know, we, we are working to, we're working towards that kind of thing and doing more of it. Um, But it's extremely labor intensive And do people care? Like, do people care? Like, we want people to care. And sometimes you don't get the traction on something you thought was like, but I think you do a really good job of doing this. And I I actually referenced you like the other day in my um, mastermind thing, because I was saying that you do it well, because you, you're like, Hey, I found a sick t-shirt and your enthusiasm, even if I haven't even heard the whole, like, post I, I've liked it already because I just like your enthusiasm is actually because it's something you care about so I think if only we share the things that we find that we're so passionate about then that's like if we're passionate about it other people are going to be passionate about it because you know so these like scary posts like true. it's not going to do anything like we're having like fun like finding out these new things like we love talking about it. Maybe we need a round table with like, yeah, lots of other yeah, people. That's uh, enthusiasm and moods and the way we're feeling. It's all energy and energy is completely contagious, yeah. you know, and that's like important. Like you probably, uh, you know, years of working at Do Good, you're like, 
you want to go into your office or go into a, a Zoom call with your people in a good mood because that yeah. it's going to create a good mood for the day, you know? And yeah. like when you put out content, it, it should be coming from that same place, getting people excited about what you're doing. Yeah. So yeah, I totally, I totally believe that and you're in always, all, all areas of life. Yeah. And you're always, one thing is like, you're always bending and breaking like for business, like you're like, oh shit, this didn't work. Like you have to just move with it. Like, and the world is changing constantly. So I'm always like, okay, what do I not know? And I need to know. So I'm like going to these like YouTube holes, like on, yeah, all sorts of things. But I just, I think that constant desire to learn is like so important in like what we do because everything's changing constantly, but we need to use that, like what we're learning to educate others like I'd love to create more of like yeah do good community who's in our community who's like wants to know about this because manufacturing's like yeah and we do produce like a full transparency report remember with Frankie so we'll do like a whole spreadsheet of like this contains these materials it was made in this factory and um it has these audits and blah 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 because I feel like clients need to share that because that's why that's why it's costing an extra five dollars to the client because they have it because all these things are in place and do goods handled it like with ease um so yeah, yeah totally that's awesome so you you a minute ago you mentioned your mastermind group You're, you have a mastermind i was thinking maybe you want to join it actually i have a mastermind <laughs> Hell yeah, I do. um which is really cool at the moment because i have some really in like exciting people in it who i've like handpicked i was in one before so um, this is your group you started i just yeah i handpicked these people but i was like oh maybe drew's too busy whatever but it's give me the lowdown here so i've so, told you that i've done this in the past right yeah we've yeah okay, we've both so, been going on can you, really can you good. give us your like formula for your meetings? Well, first of all, what is a mastermind group? Explain it. Okay. So mastermind group is basically a group of people, normally five or six people who are celeb like how our rundown. First thing we always, uh, I always ask is what are you celebrating? Everything should always start on a positive note of we're yeah, making time for the positive things and trying to yeah, we're dealing with the obstacles with other people who are in business yeah. who understand. And that celebrating can be like your weekly win or something great that happened yeah. to you in your business or your personal life or whatever yeah, it was yeah. to be, right? So that's really cool. And then um, next is like, um, yeah, basically like brain dump. Everyone says like they have 10 minutes and then the group has five minutes to report back. But 10 minutes to say like what are you, the obstacles that you're dealing with right now Um what do you need help with? What do you want to get from the group today? And the way I like, people would probably think like, oh, I probably choose people like working in sustainable fashion, but no, like I don't, I already am, I'm in that world. I love just hearing like other people's like minds from totally different like businesses. Like we've got one guy that runs um, Trap Fruits, this like um, fruit business in London. It's like super successful. And he's also worked in like music industry, TV. Um, but he just has a buzz about him that is an energy that like you can't, is so unique, his energy. And then my friend Michaela from Neighborhood Botanicals, who's amazing. She makes a vegan skincare. Elizabeth Styles, who's a massive, uh, she has an amazing podcast. Um, and she runs this thing, Fashion Feed. She's also a businesswoman on The Stack World, which is female empowerment 
for businesses in the UK. And then, um, yeah, another girl, Sarah, uh, my friend Leah, who's a designer who works with like Google, Apple, like, and she, she's amazing with like corporate clients. So it's just a collection of like people that, I mean, already you get so into your own mindset when you're like in business or get stuck on a problem that you're just like, sometimes I'll like go out like for a run and I'll be like, okay, now that's what I'm going to do. But sometimes I can't figure out how to get over the obstacle like alone. So I need these like mentors to help me through that to get to the next step. And just having creative minds like around you who have just dealt with things before is just, it's so beneficial because it's lovely. It's very lonely yeah, as well. It is lonely. It's lonely. I, uh, the top, I've, I've lonely. felt that too. That's a good thing to talk about. But do you guys have an accountability piece for your group where you like at the end maybe say like, okay, I'm this week I'm working on this. And then you guys check in with yeah. each other based yeah. on things. Well, we used to, but that's a good point. I need to add that. To this one, you should add that. Really yeah, that was really that was yeah. really big for me when I was doing it. Um, but yeah, it is lonely or can be lonely at times because I was I felt that a lot with Frankie in like some of our growing pain times. It's not you know it's lonely in the fact that <sighs> there's people around all the time, but I'm still lonely because there's nobody that ha- can I, I can relate to who's doing what I'm doing. I had no friends who were like here on a similar level or in a, even in similar or a non-similar businesses that were at the level that I was at. And I had nobody to talk to about I can come home, talk to my wife, but she's like, you can dump all you want on me, but I can't relate to half of it because I'm not in your position. Right. Um, and then I did start to seek out people in the industry and like people who could relate to it, people I can call when I have questions or even just people who I was like, you're crushing it. I kind of want you as like a mentor. I'm just going to call you or ask if you're down to talk to me. And that shit is powerful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, most of the time I feel like people are down for it because if somebody reached out to me and goes like, yo, Drew, I think you're rad. I would love to like ask you a few questions. And it happens sometimes. I'm like, sure, I'll make some time for you, you know, because it's it's flattering. You know, it, you get to then help somebody. And most people want to help some people, you know. Yeah. But to have people on your level, because um, I, I get a lot of people, especially people that are like at college and they want me to cost out a project for them. And then they want to ask me some questions. And that's fine. Like, I'm totally I want to help young people. I love that. But to have people that are on your level who are also like, you know, crushing it. Like I, sometimes you need that, like the energy or like something you need to ask them a question or help you get over an obstacle. Like you need these people around you because it is, it's lonely. It's lonely sometimes. And I think that's what people don't understand. They think it's so great running your own business and it's so great. Like we get to, you know, our day is our day. Like we can pick and choose whatever we want to do. But, um, but at the same time, yeah. But then like, again, you got to discuss on the other side of that. Like, there's, there's, there's the times where like you don't have anybody to fall back on. You don't have potential support. You are the person who has to go support everybody. Yeah, you know, you can't tell you them like, not, oh, this is all fucked because you're running the team. Like, <laughs> you've got to, you've got to be the person that's like everything's going to be great. We're going to get through this. Like, and there's, and actually I've leaned on my team a lot, like before, and they've helped me out of some like jams I've been in. So I just, I think that can be done in a tactful, 
yeah. productive, positive way. I used to do it in a shitty way. <laughs> I tell you right now, I have no problem saying this, but I don't anymore. And I look at things a lot differently now. You know, like you said, we we are the end all be all. And you have to also, this is something I've learned. You have to take responsibility. You have, as the owner of a company, you got to take responsibility. So like, you know, when something happens in the company, you pretty much have to own it. You know, sure, so someone could have fucked up, but why did they fuck up? Because you didn't train them properly, because they didn't, they weren't clear on the task, yeah. they didn't know how to do their job properly. And again, it all comes back to you. It comes back yeah. to the company, the owner. Yeah. And you have to kind of accept that and like really own it before you can get to a better place. Sure. Um, and I, I agree about, you know, having the people on your level. I think it's, it's, my when I did it, it really helped me. I've been talking to a few friends of starting up another mastermind. Um, Come join! Is, I was gonna message you. I think I, well, there's, yeah. There's a, yeah, a couple of people that I like. Yeah, know that you would just vibe with. It's just good, good people. Um, and yeah, it's people to support you. Getting those outside, getting uh, an outside perspective. It's like you just sometimes need a, a spark of a different perspective. Somebody giving you a new idea. Yeah you know believing in you and all these things that come with it yeah. is insanely um helpful productive it's like good energy oh, yeah. i believe it i'm it's on awesome. like yeah i'm on a real high about everything right now so it's really good <laughs> <laughs> that's uh amazing so that's a good place to end it tilly thank you for coming on the show is there any like shout outs or any last things you want to say before we call it a day here um well, if you want to follow us, follow us on Do Good Factory um, on Insta, and then you can come check out our website. We're always, I'm always happy to chat to new people. Um, want to say thanks to Drew for having me on the show. Um, yeah, of course, I genuinely couldn't have been, I couldn't have got to where I've got without having you in my life. So, oh, it sounds like I was going to cry. My voice is so funny there, but like you've honestly <laughs> helped me like in ways I can't like explain and you're a dear friend and I hope that you know that and um yeah you're awesome so I just um, I wish the best awesome. for you with everything that you do and I know it's going to be great because you're you know you're at the center of it so it's going to be great <laughs> uh thank you so much Thank you so much for coming on, Tills. And definitely check out Do Good Factory. If you guys just want to like hit her up, talk about your brand, she can give you some info. Or if you want to go into production, um, she's here for you. That's what she does. Um, and we need to hang out soon. So no, either we're coming we down or you're coming up. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming up August. So yeah, I'll see you up there. Um, okay. Thanks again. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Much appreciated as always. Hope you enjoyed that one. Bit of a different take on the world of responsible manufacturing and fashion. Tilly is an amazing person. She has such uh, positive energy um, and sparkle as she likes to call it. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun on that chat. Again, if you want to support the show, go check out the Patreon, Shop Efforts and Frank. That really helps me out. You know, I don't really support Amazon, but if you're going to go shop on Amazon anyway, I have a link down below, and that also helps me out. Um, we switched up the days of the episodes. Now we're going to drop on Thursday, I believe. 
but I'm still pumping them out weekly. So stay tuned. Thank you all.